cricket Dreaming about a premiership cup We love our clubs but they never win Two flags in 100 years That shit house if you think we'll be insightful Clever or just well researched to say that's not the case We'll just go out and wing it We are two guys, one cup It is Tuesday, August 25 Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup An AFL podcast My name is Will Anderson And my name is Charlie Clawson And it's starting to tighten up, Will The Bulldogs are back in the finals hunt Are you suddenly interested in football again? No, I'm not But I, I think we're in a prime <laughs> oh, good. Bulldogs position <laughs> Great, strong opening to a football podcast. I try and pump you up and get you excited about the finals and you're like, nah, not interested. Even though your team is could possibly be playing as well. Uh, well. Here's the thing, Charlie. We've identified what's going on with the Bulldogs. Can only beat teams above us on the ladder. So now that we're in the eight again, it starts to be danger games. Luckily, we've got a couple of really... Like, normally you'd look at the draw coming up and go, oh God, you've got to play, you know, Geelong and you've got to play all these teams that are in form. Great. If they're above us on the ladder, bring, <laughs> bring them, them on. on. That's <laughs> yeah. what I want to see. But I, I need them to keep above us on the ladder because we pretty much have to win every game towards the end of the season, probably to make the finals, or we could possibly afford to drop one. But really, to guarantee a final spot, we're going to have to win every game. And so every every week is a grand final at the moment. Is that becoming the Bulldogs' trademark as much as, you know, backs against the wall, as much as downhill skiers? It's a version of Backs Against the Wall, isn't it? But it's not it's a yeah. it's a strange it's a strange mutation of Backs Against the Wall because it's not like, you know, Backs Against the Wall sums up this idea of like, you know, you're fighting for your life, everyone's against you, you know, thrown against the wall and you're just gonna punch your way out of trouble. The Bulldogs one is kind of more like an eclectic uh, you, you wake from a slumber and you're the guy at the party that, no, you know, you, you go to a house party and there's a dude asleep on the couch and no one kind of knows who that guy is, and then that guy gets up and just does five minutes of the most entertaining thing you've ever seen before and then passes out back on the couch. And like, I don't know who that guy is, but when he's on, he's on. I think what we are is that, you know, if the Shimbona spirit is North Melbourne and backs against the wall is Collingwood, then I think what the Bulldogs is, is underdogs. We are yes. only good Scrappers. when we're in the underdog situation. When we're going in less fancied, you know, even, you know, 2016, you know, the Stephen Bradbury's. We just need to get ourselves into the finals and then hope that just everybody else can fall over and we can escape by them. I think you're being unkind. I don't think it's Stephen Bradbury's. I think it is you guys are the fairy tale. You are Shrek. Right. It only works for you guys if it's a fairy tale story. So... You're right. It didn't work when you guys were the reigning premiers and, you know, hot favourites go back to back and stuff because that's not the story we're invested in. Every fairy tale starts off with Cinderella dressed in rags. Her, her, her ugly stepsisters are going off to the ball and stuff. And then we see Cinderella become Cinderella. That's what we want with the Bulldogs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Cinderella, once she was married to a prince, probably turned into a real bitch. Nobody was into Cinderella then. She was like, became all entitled. It was real housewives of the castle style. She was a classic wag, Cinderella, at that stage. You know, I mean, if you think AFL wags are bad, you get yourself like a whole bunch of women married to princes going around town shopping. Probably, probably never wore the same pair of shoes twice after that. Probably had a yeah. Melda Markov style, a cupboard full of shoes. The, the prince is like, you used to wear your shoes the second time all the time. Not anymore, prince. I'm a wag now. Yeah. 
Yeah, suddenly Cinderella has like a wellness blog. Yeah, Cinderella's <laughs> she, got a lot of QAnon opinions. <laughs> yeah, she throws like a, a massive party every year. It's called a Cinderella Palooza, where they invite other celebrities <laughs> to come around. <laughs> or is it Cinderella? Cinderella. Cinderella. Of yeah. course it is. Every year she gets all her other princess mates over for Cinderella. Uh, is the li- is the lid off at the Saints? Um, well, I think. I saw a lot of doom and gloom amongst St Kilda supporters after losing to Brisbane because here's the thing. In the last three weeks, we've come up against the Cats, the Bombers and Brisbane and the top four contenders we've lost to. Now, Geelong thumped us. That was fairly grounding. I think that put everything in perspective. We only lost by two points to Brisbane, but if they had kicked straight, we should have lost by five goals. I was quite surprised to see a lot of people being like, oh, that was our chance. And it was like, well, it was our chance to steal a victory. Like, even if we'd won, the whole game I'm watching it going, this team is much better than our team. They just can't kick straight. It was uh, it was kind of heartening having barracked for a team, and the Bulldogs are the same, having barracked for a team that can't kick straight for a long time, it's really nice to play against a team like that because you don't, you don't feel the stress. It actually becomes more pressure on them when they're kicking for goal. You're like, oh, this is great. I hope they get lots of shots on goal because it just adds the pressure to the, to the opposition. Well, this was like the Melbourne game. So I didn't watch it live, but um, the third quarter was amazing. The Bulldogs kicked six straight. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to start with a good bit. If I don't get to watch the whole game, I'm just going to watch the third quarter first. So, so I, you got the eclair go down, and you sipped the cream out first and then you started nibbling <laughs> on the pastry. Is that what you did? <laughs> I said, I might not get to the pastry. I didn't get to all the pastry, but I certainly licked out the cream. And that cream was the third quarter because <laughs> I knew that we'd gone into halftime a goal down and I knew that we kicked six goals straight. So it was so pleasant to just sit there yeah. and see how we did it. And But the thing that I did also notice was Melbourne kicked atrociously. There were four or five times where they actually took it down their end and had an opportunity to score from reasonably easy shots and they missed all of them. Yeah, it's. I don't want to be one of those, uh, um, the sky is falling, but that thing about what's happened to goal kicking, especially when you watch like the older games, and I know in the like, 80s and 90s they didn't run as far, but if you look at, like what game was I watching from, I think it was 1992, Plugger kicked, I think he kicked nine goals in the first half <laughs> against Adelaide. Only went on to kick 12 because he got gassed. <laughs> he ran out of path from kicking nine goals in the first quarter. And it was like, that was... How it used to be in the era when we had Ablett, Lockett, Dunstall, even Dacos, Jakovic. Just it was a regularity that you'd hear about a full forward kicking, what, seven plus goals? Well, you'd, you'd, there'd be a game where some dude would kick 12 goals and some dude on the other team kick nine goals. Yeah. <laughs> like in the same game. <laughs> but do you think it was better? Because you do watch those old games. And while that side of it, the goal kicking is higher, I don't think it's nearly as exciting or as skillful. Like I watch the players today and the what they can do and the way they, you know, the dribble kick. Like that's the other thing is you watch the footage from the 80s and 90s. There's hardly any dribble kicks. Like nowadays you never see a player go with their opposite foot. Like they will do, they will bend the ball any way they can rather than use their opposite foot. But not just dribble kicks, like dribble hand passes. There was this Lockie Hunter dribble oh, hand pass in the game. And you're just like, this is razzle-dazzle. I love watching football played like this. And in the old days, football teams were a little bit like, you know, Amazon, the business Amazon, in that everybody was doing most of the work and then fucking Jeff Plugger Bezos would be in the goal square (laughs) kicking 16 fucking goals going, I'm the best player. (laughs) I've been listening to, uh, there's a really good Saint-centric podcast called Unplugged. 
Uh, it's by you know by three supporters, and they uh, they'll get a past player on and have a chat to them. They had Russell Morris, who played for Hawthorne and then came to the Saints in the early '90s in the Ken Sheldon era at the Saints, and uh, he talked about. Uh, you know, what it was like going to Moorabbin when Tony Lockett was there. And he said, well, coming from Hawthorne, where we'd come from a culture of, you know, we're all in this together and it's really egalitarian and, you know, the captain's going to work just as hard as the boot stutter to guarantee a premiership. When he got to St Kilda, he said, like, there was just two rules. There was a rule for everyone and then there was a rule for Plugger. Like, Plugger did as much training as he wanted, <laughs> you know, would leave the track, would have a cigarette at halftime if he wanted it. And no one ever kind of, like, fucked with him. And then um, he told this story where uh, uh, Plugger's book was about to come out. And so uh, Russell Morris had been working at Triple M at the time, selling advertising or something. And so he got Richard Stubbs to uh, uh, like just go to town on Tony Lockett just to do a bit for like 30 seconds and then got a tape of it and went to training. And at the end of training, like as everyone's stretching and stuff, he puts on this tape of Richard Stubbs doing like, you know, a minute of Plugger material. And he said, the whole room goes like deathly silent and no one's laughing. And he's sitting there and he just sort of sees Plugger on the other side of the change room, just like tensing up. And he's like, I've got to get the fuck out of here. So he grabs his bag and goes into the massage room and says, he's lying down on the table. And, you know, it's like, if I just fucking wait it out, I'll wait till everyone leaves the train, then I'll get out of here. And then he said, he just sees like this, because he's got his face under the table, he just sees this shadow, like all the light in the room go out as Plugger's standing over him. And like he hears like the, the physiotherapist like leave the room. So it's just him and Plugger in the massage room. And Plugger's like, don't you ever fucking do that again. <laughs> just like <laughs> Russell Morris is just lying there just waiting for this giant fist to like come through the back of his head. It's like you can just imagine it. It feels like a scene from like Kingpin in Daredevil yes, or something. Exactly. And like his shadow just looms large in the room and one of his underlings has done badly by him and he's just going to break his neck on a massage table. But that culture doesn't really exist anymore does it even with the superstars at clubs do you feel like is there any one player at any club who is held to a different standard to everyone else there might be a class of players like you might say nat fife and michael walters probably uh have less explaining to do at, at frio if they're late for training than you know other players but do you reckon is there any player who dominates a club like plugger did when he's at moorabbin i think the closest we've come in sort of the last 10 or 15 years would probably be that period where Gary Ablett was by far and away the best player in the game and was able to really sort of yes. like train by himself, eat what he wanted to eat, like, you know, do things his own way. And everybody's like, well, he's the best player in the game by a mile. So if he wants to do it differently to everybody else, he can. Well, it's a bit like in the last dance where they talk about Dennis Rodman and you got to let Dennis be Dennis. I mean, is there something to that where it's like, well, this guy brings whatever we need on the field like you can't doubt his commitment to the to the team but he just doesn't like going to training do you create a, se a separate set of rules or does that that's bad culture yeah so i i don't know who it would have been guy mckenna or rodney Ede, but are you suggesting that gary ablett is the michael jordan but say carmichael hunt is the Dennis Rodman. And there was a period of time where Rodney he should have let Carmichael be Carmichael. You know what? If he wants to go to a golf day with a golf bag full of cocaine, that's just Carmichael blowing off some steam, you know? Well, I'd argue that if Carmichael Hunt had been like Gary Ablett Jr. at the Gold Coast, that maybe yeah. they would have allowed that. Yeah, you're right. But And also Gary Ablett Jr. compared to Gary Ablett Sr. Yeah. Like he's still a massive nerd. Yes. Like Gary Ablett's version of doing what he wanted to do was like, 
you know, take as long as he wanted to recover from injuries because they knew he was trying his best and, you know, would train, you know, sometimes separately because he wanted to train at a different level than the kids he was playing with and all these sort of things. Whereas Gary Ablett Senior would like drive a car until it ran out of petrol and just leave the car there and get somebody to go and deal with it. Like there. That is the so, perfect. Is that a true anecdote? Because I don't know I don't know if it is, but it just sounds perfect. That's exactly the kind of thing that he'd do. My understanding is that Gary Ablett used to get a free car from Ford. You know, of course, major sponsor of the, and he'd occasionally just drive it. And then when it ran out of petrol, he'd just walk away from it and go, someone else can deal with that. That's Get me a new car. Amazing. That's so great. <laughs> I mean, they were sponsored by Ford. So maybe that yeah. was just the deal is Gary, just leave a car. It's endless supply of Fords. Yeah. It was basically like those bikes. I was going to say. You yeah. could go around Geelong and there'd just be a Fords just parked by the side of the road. You're like, are you an Uber? No, Gary Ablett left me here. Um, we failed to mention last week and I feel bad about it. So let's make up for it that it was Indigenous round on the weekend. Sir Doug Nichols round. And like, I absolutely agree because we're not really paying much attention no. to the actual football mechanics oh, i thought we massively overlooked that as well but can did you see the welcome to country just at the say, Dreamtime game awesome so great i actually was listening to another podcast uh the real footy podcast and i think it was jake nile was suggesting like when you saw how great that was and the atmosphere of that game it makes sense that they should expand Dreamtime to be like okay maybe rather than just you know i understand financial imperative means you want richmond and essendon at the biggest ground you can get because it's going to draw eighty thousand. but why not get another team another two teams up to the northern territory and do that same thing every year because it was just a different there's a different vibe to it and it just felt so fun and it was like it was a celebration. It's kind of what a like a heritage round should be about, which is like just acknowledging all the Indigenous players who have played part of our game. And I love the way he mentioned all the nations of people who were there. And it just felt like a no-brainer to me that they should do that every year in the Northern Territory. He honestly reeled that speech... Like I don't know if we have permission to be able to replay it, but if we do, if we can have permission to replay it, then I would love if we could even replay it at the end of the podcast because it's just if you have not heard it, and if we can't, go and Google it, find it somewhere, watch this guy deliver it because it is everything that you want to hear about our country. Mm. Like you know the fact that he is welcoming all the people and the way that he welcomes all those people and it was just like okay if we get invaded by aliens this guy's the president <laughs> this guy's in charge of the inspirational speech like the independence day speech yeah. i want it done by this guy because it it was so and this is when it comes to you know our relationship with indigenous australia and how much, you know, we've failed them. The thing that I always come back to is how open they are to mending the bridges. Mm. It's always from our side that the bridges don't seem to want to be mended. We don't get that, you know, angry, resentful, you know, bitter, you know, about the incredible injustices no. that have been done. No, but what you do get, Will, is someone on Twitter saying, I know an Aboriginal person and they don't want to mend a bridge. I know it. And it's like, okay, you're making that up. <laughs> You are that doesn't like, yeah. that doesn't, doesn't exist. Your best friend, and 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 every time you know someone is in public, despite the injustices, it's always offered in a spirit of we are all in this together, and it, it just could not be a better blueprint for how we rebuild this country into something better. And so to bring that back to the AFL and the AFL, you know, 
has had its struggles in this area. Like, you know, we, we've talked about Adam Goods a lot on this show. Mm. This is not all just ancient history, but I do feel like we are struggling through the worst of it into a better time because even with the Robbie Muir story yeah. this week and, you know, that horrible, like, I mean, incredible Harrowing. piece of sports journalism, but that that the, the horrible tale of, you know, the multiple injustices he's been subjected to over his life of trauma and racism but then to see that now we're at a time where people do get angry and mm. St Kilda did come out and you know make a very bold statement acknowledging the injustices that had been done to Robbie and putting forward a plan to do something about it and Collingwood has been forced into action to respond and Geelong the community has rallied behind him you know mm. in a financial sense like to the point where he's made a public statement to say hey I need to you know, go away and have some time by myself now to process all this. But um, I think that's incredible. And it doesn't make up one bit for any of the terrible things that happened to him. But yeah, the fact that we're at least now at a point where, but let's just not wait for them to be injustices that we have to write. Yeah. Let's just not... Let's just not do the injustices in the first place. Well, the thing about that article, and it was like a, it's a very tough read, especially as like a Saint supporter, because like I grew up, you know, hearing about Robbie Muir. I don't think I ever saw him play, but everyone just, uh, you know, fell into that trap of going, oh, he's, a, he's the wild man, you know, and he's just this, he's this kind of caricature. And it's like with any the most minor of deeper investigation or thought about it, you'd be like, well, why does someone behave like that? I wonder, like no one bothered to scratch the surface. And when you read it, I just felt like an idiot. It's like, of course this was going on. Of course that's the way he was behaving. And, and despite all of that and how he was treated and, you know, the, the, the things he was subjected to, he still loved that football club. He still loved all the football clubs he represented, you know, the South Australian team, the Ballarat team. And all he wanted was to be acknowledged by these clubs, which he loved. And to me, it was so, it was really distilled what we love about this game, you know, is that sense of belonging. And it doesn't matter if you only played 30 games, 70 games, 100 games, whatever it is. If you pulled on that jumper for that team, you own a bit of someone's like history because you know, even if I only watched you for a season or two seasons, I have memories, you know, you were part of my life for that year, no matter where we were on the ladder. And so, you know, I think as supporters, we do owe it to the players to listen to them. Like even what's happening now with the, what they're talking about with the bullying online and the harassment, all that kind of stuff. We're all in this together. You know, it's a, it's a team sport and it's a club sport. And that's why we're, why we buy a membership. I'm just really glad. I was very proud of the way the club responded. I mean, they had a lot of heat put on them straight away. You know, I saw a lot of Saint supporters like messaging them when that article came out and said, you know, you have to do something. I'm really glad that they didn't pussyfoot around. Like it was just a full-throated kind of... But also really great that there was a lot of supporters who were saying that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the change doesn't just come from the club. In fact, in some ways, it would have been completely useless if it had just come from the club. Mm. The fact that there was a groundswell of supporters who said, hey, I love this club too, but this is not right. We need to fix this. And again, it's just a small you know, example of how we could fix the bigger problem. Mm. Or at least, you know, we're never going to fix you know the, the past injustices, but how we can come to some sort of, you know, peace with it and move forward in like, you know, kind of arm in arm mm. is what happened. They acknowledged the wrongs that have been done and they've pledged to put in place ways to rectify those wrongs. That's just 
what we need to keep doing. And the great thing is that St Kilda fans felt good about that. Yeah. And I feel like a, a large majority of Australians will feel good about it when we finally, you know, you know rectify in a meaningful way the past injustices of Australia. Well, the great thing that sport does is it gets into people's like, uh, it gets into the conversation, it gets people talking. And I think... Right. You know, I've just I've I've been examining my uh, relationship with Indigenous Australia because, if I'm honest, I don't really know anything about it. I wasn't taught it at high school. You know, Not enough. I've only just started like learning about the different nations and you know the history in Bruce Pascoe's book and all that kind of stuff. And watching the Indigenous, if you need a guide to the nations, they were pretty much all mentioned in the Welcome yeah. to Country on Saturday <laughs> night. So you can just go back and look at that. Yeah, do it. Memorise it like some people memorise Jack Nicholson's speech from A Few Good Men yeah. and just have them all on hand. That was the we didn't start the fire of Welcome to <laughs> Countries. But watching the Indigenous round, the, uh, Doug Nichols round and seeing the Indigenous Guernseys and it's an Indigenous game, I was like, well, this makes sense to me. If Maybe this is the starting point. Like Maybe right. this is where we start educating people about the different nations, where people come from, um, you know, and... I was like looking at the Guernseys just on a simple level going like, these should be, oh, I would be happy if this was the, the Guernsey, you know, like full, full time, if it was always like an indigenous inspired Guernsey, because look, I may be wrong about this, but I believe that AFL has some indigenous heritage, right? In terms of the way the sport was developed. That is right. Yeah. So, Mangrook. That's the, that's where the name of the Mangrook footy show comes from. The history of Mangrook is part of the history of how AFL football was so wouldn't that be a great way to tie like modern white Australia to our indigenous history? Like let's start there. You know, I just think it makes so much sense because I've, I haven't seen anything bad online, you know, Twitter, which is a cesspool most times on, I thought the, the response to this round was really positive And a lot of people were talking and were sharing that welcome to country and all that kind of stuff. So I just feel here's like. What, here's what I'd love. Cause I love the jumpers as well. And I always love the stories behind them. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're obviously mostly designed by somebody who has a direct connection to the club, you know, it'd be a mother of an indigenous player or the, you know, cousin of an indigenous player who plays at the club, even sometimes a player who plays at the club. Like, so the stories themselves are incredible, but could they not be the away jerseys or the, oh, yeah. in fact, the home jerseys would be more appropriate, but like, let, let's have every club keep their traditional strip you know, let's you yeah, know, the like let's not offend the traditionalists. You can have your traditional strip for home games, and for away teams, you play you play in your indigenous jumper. Right. So does that mean the Brisbane Lions have to go back to their Brisbane Bears, <laughs> their original indigenous jumper? It's weird that we put that as in as one of the clauses, but we have this idea, but on one condition: <laughs> the Brisbane Lions for one round have to be the Brisbane Bears. I mean, is that the worst? Guernsey design of all time or was the Dockers original look pretty bad so I, I feel like the Dockers was pretty bad um, the power with the big lightning bolt I didn't mind the lightning bolt <laughs> i got to be honest with you <laughs> like a superhero's out yeah it did it had a little bit like I was like oh hang on what's going on here these guys might be able to fly and punch really hard <laughs> yeah there's something about it looked like a Rubik's Cube originally the Dockers jump, but like the 90s, the late 90s when it was kind of the green, purple, white and red. Is that, is, am I, that's what it was. That would be it great if colors. it was like a Rubik's Cube though. Like yeah. in that you could actually like, it, it was like made in sort of different ways. So during the game, you could like spin it around. So it kind of disorientated the opposition. Um, 
Who do you think is going to win the flag? Two teams, <sighs> as far as I'm concerned now. It's two teams. The West Coast Eagle Eagles yes. uh, are definitely uh, got to be a major chance to win the Premiership. And I mean, then I would did, say... I know they're going to say Queensland, but just say they did say, look, finals are all going to be played in Perth. It's just the Eagles, right? Like you couldn't see anyone beating them over there. Absolutely not. Like the only chance someone has of beating the Eagles is that it's not played in Western Australia. I believe the Eagles might have stay, started the outbreak of COVID patients in Queensland. <laughs> I feel like they're just like, if we really... I mean, isn't Adam Simpson... I oh know, John Worsfold's a pharmacist. I was going to say, maybe yeah. Adam Simpson. That, that was what they were doing the first few weeks when they are over in Queensland. They were planting some sleeper cells to have a little COVID outbreak to get the grand final over to Perth. Because if they play that at Optus Stadium, West Coast win by 15 goals. Yeah. Um, so who's your other team that wins it? Or do you think... I think there's two. Do you think there's more? Um, I think there's still a chance that Richmond can win. Yeah. I think there's still a chance that Geelong can win. Yes. Um, and... I haven't written off Brisbane and Port Adelaide and I guess, you know, hopefully the Saints and the Bulldogs. But yes, I think that it's probably, at the moment it feels like to me it's West Coast and then the rest. Yeah, I reckon that. I, to me it's West Coast strongly uh, followed by Geelong and then I think there's a little bit of a gap between Geelong and Richmond and then I feel like Port, Brisbane are jostling and then I think St Kilda are a bit behind them. What if Port Adelaide though... Port Adelaide finish really high, get some home finals. They play, you know, they end up playing a bunch of their games in Adelaide. Yeah, but they've only, they've lost, but they've lost to St Kilda. They've lost to like three other teams in the top eight. Yeah, but... Geelong, St Kilda. But that's in the season. They play finals for a reason. It's not like you can go back over the history of AFL and go, well, this team was beaten by this other team in the season, so therefore they will be beaten by this team in the finals. It doesn't always work like that. Is Ken Hinckley coach of the year? No, I reckon um, uh, John Longmire, the Fremantle one. Justin Longmire is coach of the year. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, a legitimate? Absolutely, 100%. I th thought they were going to be the worst team. Well, not maybe the worst, but one of the worst teams in the competition. And they, but for a bit of bad luck, you know, the Carlton game and a couple of other games could be like six and six. I think they have been the team that has overperformed based on what I thought they were going to do going into the season. I think Longmuir's done such a good job. But does but coach of the year generally has to be someone who's playing finals because what we'll give that coach is we give that coach the coach's award. Congratulations. Yeah. The, coaches, the coach's coaches coach's award. award. <laughs> the winner of the coach coach's award is Fremantle's John Longmire. It's Justin, guys. Um, yeah, yeah. Shores. Um, Isn't it funny how quickly... Um, oh, go on. No, well, I was going to say then, of the top teams, who yeah. is coach of the year? Um, if Brisbane ended up, you know, finishing in the top four, you could make a an argument for Dennis Pagan, Chris Fagan. Um, yeah. I think Chris Scott is under the radar a bit because I don't know a lot of people who are predicting them for a flag. Even I wrote them off. You've written them off like the last three years and they keep playing finals. Mate, um, Geelong are great. And Chris Scott loves winning games of football in the regular season. But the big yeah. question mark over Geelong is that they just haven't won enough finals in that time. 
Yeah. Uh, Gary Ablett is coming back, though. That's the latest word. And I think that they're settling on Reese Stanley as their number one Ruckman. Maybe we it's the only play thing him that makes form. me think we can beat him on the weekend. <laughs> oh, have you got the Cats this weekend? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, it's interesting to um, what they're doing with Danger. Like Danger, they did it with Dusty at the start of the year, Danger and Fife, this idea of, you know what, like you can play 30% in the midfield and then spend the rest of the time just up forward. Just do what you want. I mean, I guess you know, earlier we were talking about Plugger. I, I guess Danger and, and, and Net Fife, they're ultimate professionals. But they can do what they want on the football field. I get. I reckon they get to pick their when they change positions when they're in and out of the midfield and going up to forward. Do you reckon? I mean, at the Bulldogs, Bontempelli's probably like he'd never tell you what he wanted to do. He's not that sort of personality, but he could do whatever he wants to do. Like the way that he's been playing football the last couple of weeks, it looks like when he's on the football field, he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. He had like seven hundred meters gained or something ridiculous in like the game on the weekend. And just every time he got the ball, he would just like find somebody 40 metres down the field who had like, who was 30 centimetres away from the person they were playing on and just like kick it to their advantage. You were just like, you're playing a different game to everybody out here at the moment. Yeah, the Bulldogs are a frustrating team to watch really because you just don't know if you can trust them. Like when you get your game on, well, you, can't. you look like world beaters. But then you seem yeah. to get, I don't know, like, I wonder... How much it's you know what it's a bit like? It's a bit like Port Adelaide when they finished top four and and uh, you know made a preliminary final what six seven years ago, and we all got very excited because they played such an attractive brand of football, and then they just misfired for the next six years. That's what it feels like with the Bulldogs. Is your best is like better than anyone's, but it's so hard. Well, to know. Our best is like a showcase of skillful football. Yes, like there was a passage of play from the back line. Um, I think even it might have been Bontempelli to Wallace. It might have been that one. But like we're just the running and handball out of the back line was just spectacular. And there was all these great plays. And then there's, you were just like, who, who are these guys? These guys are amazing. But there are certain deficits that the Bulldogs have that I think against the bigger and better teams, get we get exposed and we can't play that style of football we want to play. And what is that? Just so for all the coaches listening out there, if you want to beat the Bulldogs, <laughs> Will's going to break it down for you. How do you beat the Bulldogs? Uh, well, in the ruck, because we like st- like English is a good player, but he's still not a you know a AFL ruckman. standard ruckman against the the big guys. And then Josh Bruce was in the ruck, and then I think actually Josh Dunkley, who's like my height, you know, rucked I think the majority of minutes for the Bulldogs. So we we're very good out of the centre clearances still because McRae's on fire and. You've got Liberatore and you've got like Dunkley as an extra in the middle and you've got Bontempelli, like Caleb Daniel off the back line, like all that stuff. And I mean, Bailey Smith, mm. who could like, be Smith, rising star. Bailey Smith is, um, could be an all Australian. Like yes. his numbers this year are amazing. How and particularly good is the top 10 draft that he was in? With Max King and Isaac oh. Rankin. It's like, this could be go down as the best draft of all time. Or best top 10 of all time. I mean, so, Butters, isn't that... Rosie. Well, I was going to say, all the Port Adelaide boys are from that draft. Yeah. Like, the top 10 are just absolute guns, basically, ben out of King. that draft. It's, yeah, it's an amazing draft. But Bailey Smith is, like, a super, super footballer. Like, I love watching him play football. So, yeah, no, we've definitely got a lot of upside. And like Josh Bruce didn't kick a goal and Norton didn't kick a goal and we kicked a bunch of goals. Uh, when you've got a haircut like that, you've got to be a good footballer, I think. Well, I say 
get an even more outrageous haircut because it's doing him fucking favors. Like he plays, <laughs> he plays like a guy who owns that haircut. You know, sometimes when you see, I'm like an yes. Aaron Norton, for example. I like his haircut, mm. but he looks like a boy dressing up as a man, right? <laughs> Whereas, like, it's not a. I don't think that Bailey Smith's haircut is a novelty haircut. I feel like that's yeah. Bailey Smith's haircut. You know his haircut I've been digging this year and he's only just changed it and I'm really bummed out and I'm hoping it's not because of all the attention he's getting online. But um, Dylan Shield was rocking a samurai top knot for a while mm. and it was, I, I, it's interesting because as you know, Will, he uh, he was a neighbour of mine for quite some time, lived down the road from me and I'd see him quite a bit and he was always rocking that Tom Cruise colour of money flat top for like five or six years. It was the same flat top and it's like, you know, a dude does acid for the first time <laughs> and suddenly like six months later, their hair's long, you know, they're wearing loose fitting clothing, just like wooden beads around their neck. I feel like he had some kind of uh, a sea change or what, what, what is that called when you have some kind of like acid moment? Well, he, like he did, he did ayahuasca or something. Ayahuasca, right? yeah. Yeah, he had like, I a, bet he went to Peru Matt- on his end of season trip and did an ayahuasca ceremony. And really just became one with the universe. Uh, I could see Nat Fife running an ayahuasca ceremony. I think like Nat Fife, he'd probably have a beach house somewhere up near Broome or something like that. And it would be, it's not a party, Will. You're not there to party. No. You're there because you're curious to explore the limits of your own consciousness. There'd be like seven to eight people, all beautiful, I imagine, sitting around in kind of like white linen clothes. And uh, there's Nat as he's preparing the ayahuasca telling them about like the history of the ayahuasca he flew his helicopter to peru himself to pick this plant to bring it back to australia you know what i love about that is when you do like ayahuasca or dmt like you can have these incredibly vivid you know visitations by characters from your own world or your life but maybe alien creatures you know and i love the idea that Nat Fife remembers the name of each and every one of those alien creatures. <laughs> Can't name one of his own teammates, but every time he does ayahuasca, remembers every wood creature alien he's visited by. Speaking of which, let's get to some mail. Cunt uh, fiction is taken off like crazy, and uh, we should throw a shout-out to Phoenix Trinidad, mm-hmm. a listener to the show, who has done the first animated cunt fiction uh, which is Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington in space. And if you haven't seen it, um, I'll see how I can uh, post it to our feed or something like that. It is so great, so funny, and so bizarre that something like this exists from our stupid podcast. It's like it's it's by itself hilarious. Like the idea of just if you don't know the background of this podcast and you just see a little cartoon animation of Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington going to space together and then like the dialogue's really funny, it's really well made, it stands up on its own. But when you realise that it came from that our stupid obsession with the idea that these two would be buddies has turned into something actually good, it makes me feel like anything's possible, Charlie. Uh, This is from Jimmy. He says, howdy, cuppers. After Charlie's quick aside last week uh, about comparing West Coast and Richmond to WWE stalwarts, The Rock and Stone Cold, respectively, Mm. it got me thinking as to who else in the AFL has a wrestling counterpart. A comparison could be made, for example, with Western Bulldogs and the late 90s WWF resident car crash victim, Mankind. Years and years of getting demolished and destroyed with hardships of plenty, they finally managed to do the impossible, winning the big one in 2016, a victory reminiscent of Mankind's triumphant world title victory over The Rock in 1999. 
An obvious one, of course, is Hulk Hogan and Collingwood, two ultra-popular yet hated staples of the sports that both have questionable racial issues coming to light in recent years. What do you say, you jabronis? Any other WWE AFL comparisons that come to mind? Thanks, Jimmy. Well, the Hulk Hogan thing um, works as well because there was also like a couple of, you know, questionable sex tapes that came out of Collingwood as well, wasn't there? So <laughs> I think so. Um, well, who's like a high-flying team? Like who is like the the, the Shawn Michaels? Who's the glamour, high-flying glamour boys of the AFL? Um, Are they, is there a team that's high? Is West Coast? They're not glamour boys anymore. Who, who's the glamour boy team of the AFL in, in general, unrelated to wrestling? Who's the most glamorous team? I mean, Sydney was kind of glamorous, weren't they? You know, the buddy yeah. factor and... But that you, but the you know they're not particularly glamorous at the moment. GWS are they glamorous? No, I don't they're think kind that of they are. professionals. Glamorous Richmond aren't really glamorous, but they have they're more like entourage. Who's like flashy and glamorous? It's a good question. I don't are we know missing an AFL glamour team at the moment? I think so. I can't think of. Oh, give me the who's the most glamorous player? Start there. The most gl- what is what is glamorous? What is our definition of glamorous? And Trevor Barker. Flashy, good-looking, charismatic. I mean, Isaac Rankin has the spirit of glamour, but he doesn't have the look of glamour yet. No. Um, if he if he gets complete frosted tips, <laughs> then maybe. Oh, you know what? I, I'm finding this difficult. Maybe the glamour has gone out of our game a little. Maybe this is actually that thing that everybody's going, I don't know what it is that I'm missing about modern day football. Was, maybe was it's Alex glamour. Alex Rance a glamour boy? He was a glamour boy, wasn't he? He was glamourish. He was Clark Kent. He wasn't glamour. No. There's no glamour. There's no flashy. I mean, we're going to get inundated with mail, people hitting us up. But do. Let but us who's know. your Who is Dermot Brereton? Who's player? your driving a fancy car and being invited to nightclubs yeah. and, <laughs> and riding motorbikes into said nightclubs? Yeah, who is that in the AFL at the moment? Because, like, Buddy is the only one that's really coming to mind. And, of course, Buddy's been out. Like, mm. I don't know. Yeah, there's no real obvious party boys, are there? No. I mean, I'm sure there is, but I can't immediately identify who they are. Okay, this is from Tal, a John Wick-style cunt. Okay. Hey, guys. For this week's cunt, I thought I'd do a historical reimagining. John Wick-inspired story. It's August 2018. The ultimate weapon himself, Nat Fife, has decided to hang up the boots to give it all away and commit full-time to his real passion running his ayahuasca retreats for CEOs. <laughs> i got to say, I had not read this email before we did that riff before. This is just shows how in sync we are with our audience. <laughs> oh. After the loss of his beloved diminutive companion, Hayden Valentine, Nat Fife has gone to the draft to replace him, like for like, with Andy Brayshaw. The two grow close. Andy would do things like polish Nat's helicopter for him on weekends. Nat would helpfully point out the spots he missed, like good friends do. Just over there, Angus. Everything was serene until the fateful Western Derby in 2018. The Russian hooligan, Andrew Gafovsky, swung an errant fist to the mouth of Andy Brayshaw. The violence, the heartbreak was extraordinary. And after that, an enraged Nat Fife unhung the boots and began to systematically destroy the league. He even killed five guys while riding John Longmire. <laughs> the year and a half of tyranny ended when Nat Fife collected his 2019 Brownlow. Ben Cunnington was busy fishing and attending the SSA, Shinbone Spirit Anonymous sessions throughout this period. There's a lot more links here that I've missed, but please go to town. Cheers. 
Um, okay. Does it count as cunt fiction if you just do a cutscene of Ben fishing and not involved in the A plot? <laughs> Doesn't Ben Cunnington... Mean, meanwhile, gone fishing. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Sometimes in a series, they do an episode that focuses around one of the main characters. I'm fine with this. Did you see that footage of Ben Cunnington at the uh, being interviewed on the Brownlow red carpet that uh, yes. got published during the week? And the, the question was, if you uh, were catching up with Gil McLaughlin, what's the one question you would ask him? And... Uh, Ben Cunnington said, completely on brand, does he go fishing? <laughs> Michael writes in, uh, Shane Edwards, Pocket Profile Pocket. Hey guys, first time, long time. I recall a few years ago, it may have been last year in fact, when Shane Edwards from the Richmond Football Club was named All-Australian for the first time, that you both didn't really know who Shane Edwards was or what he looked like. Mm, Very true. on brand for Do Guys One Cup, I must say. In your defence, Shane Edwards is a conservative person much like two guys, one cup's very own, Ben Cunnington. So I don't blame you for okay. not really knowing much about him. However, I've attached a link to his pocket profile pocket that was in a footy record two years ago that you might find entertaining. Thanks Fantastic. for all the laughs over the years, especially this year. That has gone from bad to shit house for Victoria especially. I'm sure I'm not the only person to be thankful for the hilarious content you provide week in and week out. Not sure if the pockets, the, the pocket profiles or the evolution of the five Cunnington fan fiction, but this year's content has reached a new level. Cheers, Michael. Okay, you ready for a bit of Shane Edwards trivia? you got to get into the mind of Shane Edwards. Can't wait. This photo that I've been sent, it's only partially complete. So I'll just start at the first question I can read, which is, who is the best set shot at your club? Dustin Martin. Two years ago, he was asked this question. Um, it was Jack Rewalt. Alex Rance. Oh, Alex Rance. I don't think of him as a set shot for goal. Who is the most underrated AFL player? AFL. That's how good Richmond were yeah. during that period. <laughs> that their best set shot for goal played full back. They were just like, this is how good we are, the Richmond Football Club. We're not. Richmond were basically playing like that scene from The Princess Bride where at some stage they were going to send Alex Rance to full forward and go, we are not left-handed. <laughs> like, fucking hell. Most underrated AFL player. Uh, from Richmond? No, AFL. And plays Give me Richmond. a uh, club. Yeah. Uh, Port Adelaide and then Carlton. Uh, He's, Travis Polk? No, has a name... That sounds like it could be like a 70s sitcom. Um, L together now. His first name is Barnaby. <laughs> Barnaby Joyce. He's <laughs> a former leader of the National Party, Barnaby Joyce. Barnaby French. I didn't know who Barnaby French was either, so no. I just looked it up. Barnaby French uh, played 62 games at Port Adelaide from 99 to 2002. And 71 games for Carlton from 2003 to 2006. I don't know if Shane Edwards has been a little... Maybe he's a mate. Been a little cheeky? Underrated. No, no. Underrated. Are you saying he's underrated? He's played 150 games, two clubs. We've never heard of him. I thought he was a 70s detective series. So... <laughs> Best advice you've received. Um, okay. And it's a... It's a what, you, it's, it's a, um, what do you call it? Not an old wives' tale. Yeah, it's an old wives' tale. Like it's something that an old wife would say. Don't cry over spilt milk. Don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's back. Okay. That's the best advice he's received. <laughs> he knows that it's not actually true, right? 
Or is he just a He's like, stepping on my mum is 60 years old. Not once has her back ever been broken. That is a 100% record. That's why he's so light on his feet, because he's practiced since childhood, just like not stepping on cracks. It's just incredible. Can't play on dry arenas. Greatest footy moment before the AFL. Bit of a cheeky uh, answer here. It's kind of a, oh, it's a, it's a logical, cheeky answer. Best moment before the AFL. Best greatest footy moment um, before the AFL. Getting drafted to play in the AFL. The warm-up. Wink, wink, wink. Uh, Who's his favourite okay. AFLW player? Um, Moana Hope. Steph Chucky. Okay. Least preferred teammate on road trips and why? Jack Rewalt. No. Uh, uh, I believe this player used to play for Carlton Ruckman. I, mean, I think he played Sean Griggs. Griggs. No, but close. Sean ha 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 ha. Rhymes with handsome. Han- handsome. Han- <laughs> Hanson. Hanson. Because he takes his, he takes his, he takes Shane Edwards' bed as an extension for his bed because I imagine he has long legs. Okay. Funniest teammate. Uh, um, now he makes a joke here. He's gone. Well, the funniest looking is. Uh, uh, oh, funniest looking teammate. Plays for um, Richmond. He's considered quite a performer this week. Uh, Sh- Sean Griggs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan Grimes. Dylan Grimes, that's him. <laughs> and his funniest teammate is uh, Connor Menendu. Menendu? Uh, hard to tell the difference between them sometimes. The team he barracked. What I would like to point out is. I am zero. I have not got one of these right. I do not know Shane Edwards at all. Well, they haven't asked him about carbs. It's not the normal questions. It's been difficult this week. Um, what team did he back for as a kid? Uh, they are... I can't tell you the state because it'll give it away, but they're an expansion team. Um, the Adelaide Crows. Yes. There you go. You got one. The most inspiring movie. Um, a kids film I think it's like a late 80s kids film oh the bad news bears Sandlot Kids because Squint was a real go-getter have you ever seen the Sandlot Kids never seen it but I reckon the bad news bears was not a bad guess best concert I attended um, okay <laughs> this is a, Mod- this is modern a, day this band is a strange answer no he gives a he gives, I, I'm assuming it's a joke answer but it's just an odd answer best concert attended I'm more of a Spotify kind of guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. An app he can't live without. Spotify. Another joke here. No, it's another joke relating to kind of uh, a Nokia 5110. Uh, oh, my phone's not advanced enough to have apps. Snake 2. Snake. Remember that oh. snake? Yeah. Yeah. Instagram or Twitter. Oh, and here's his. Here's where he gets ben, very Ben Cunnington. This could be coming. This it sounds like this could be coming from Ben Cunnington himself. Instagram or Twitter? Uh, I don't have either of them. Um, best to get off. Best to get off the phone and head outside. Go fishing. Maybe catch a snake. Best to get off. The maybe phone catch a, and head Maybe get outside. off my Nokia and get outside. Catch myself a real snake. How about that? <laughs> his favorite cafe. Uh, um, hard Rock Cafe. He, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I'll rephrase the question. His 
Favorite cafe is any cafe that serves uh, eggs Benedict, corn fritters. Favorite cartoon or movie character? <laughs> That's actually a funny answer. <laughs> uh, well, I'll uh, the clue. Funny favorite cartoon or movie character? Um, famous redhead, Ginger Megs. Think uh, Tintin. Why? Because he reminds me of Josh Caddy. Oh. <laughs> and the last question is best piece of advice your mum gave you. Hang on, wasn't that the the crack in the back? No, that was just the best bit of advice he's ever got. It just related oh, okay. to his mum. It's not like his mum right. was like, don't step on a crack, you'll break, break my back. My back. <laughs> but best piece of advice your mum gave? Don't step on a crack, you'll break my back. <laughs> Listen to your auntie who told you, don't step on a crack or you'll break my back. Uh, save, save your money. It's, invest it, invest in real estate. Close. It's something that a parent would say to you around dinner time. Um, don't uh, eat too much. You'll f- you won't be you won't eat your dinner. <laughs> no, not what your parents would say to you. What a normal <laughs> child's parents might say. You repulse Stop us. eating cake. Stop eating. <laughs> We're Are ashamed you of a you. Handful of butter. <laughs> You're disgusting. <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> No, they. His best advice his mum gave was, "You can't leave the table until you've finished your greens." Right. Ah, oh, thanks, okay. I know nothing. I, I feel like I don't know any, him anymore. No, having done that pocket. Profile. I mean, I certainly knew nothing about him. I could not get inside his mind. Um, okay, this is from Nick, and it's a uh, it's a short. It's not a, a cunf. It's a cunf idea. Um, this is fun to try out the new contact form. Oh, he's talking about our website, Will. Uh, Tofop.com. Uh, Tofop.com is a website that hosts this and many other great podcasts. You can go check it out now. It's brand new. It's also got a way you can contact us. Uh, you just go to the bottom of the page, hit the contact form, drag down two guys one cup and send us a message. Just like, who's this guy? Nick. All right. Uh, just wanted to throw an idea into the Cunf, idea out for the Cunf Chronicles. Oh, that's pretty good. Maybe she called them the Cunf Chronicles. It's a very special episode. Ben Cunnington has a mix-up at the airport and accidentally boards a flight to Paris. Mm-hmm. Now has to travel abroad to save Cano from berets, baguettes, and Bastille. When he arrives, he finds none other than a very special guest star, the one and only Frenchman, Marc Lacroix, waiting Love to help it. solve the case. The pair always a step behind while Cano gets himself stuck in various situations, like winning a fishing competition on the Seine. Maybe Marc Pitonet could be there. Uh, who you should also try and get on the pod. Is it Pitonet? Pitonet? I don't know. <laughs> no need to read this bit or any of the above. Thanks for the show. It's the best part of the footy and always gives me many laughs. If this even gives you half a smile, then my day would be made. What's your status of your smile, Will? Yeah, at least uh, half. Quarter, so. You get a quarter smile from Will. I reckon no, a half. Look. Yeah. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Gus writes in, uh, G'day boys, as a student of disgraced St. Kevin's College, one of my favourite days of the year is when our mighty first 18 take on the crosstown rival Xavier, the only two Christian schools in the APS. Charlie, as someone who went to Xavier in the 80s and 90s, I was wondering if you had any stories from those days or got to play in them, and if this rivalry was as big good. back then as it is now. Have a good one. Uh, Gus Simpenfjordo. P.S. Look up Big Brandon Proust talking about Tom McDonald in AFLX. We will at another point. Uh, yeah, it was huge. Um, the two We were the two Catholic schools in the APS and uh, Xavier was considered kind of like the, the toffier one, even though they were both 
very expensive private schools in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, somehow, St. Kevin's position, it, much like the Bulldogs, position themselves as the uh, working class underdogs. Um, the year I was never good enough to play in the in the first eighteen, um, but they would get big crowds. Like they would let all the students out to watch, and I think we've got like five or six hundred people down to watch. You know, the first the, the first time they played each other each season. Um, I do remember Brad and Chris Scott played for St. Kevin's. They were the year above us. And they were terrifying. Like watching them play, they were just imagine. Think of them what what they were like at Brisbane. They were like that at schoolboy footy level. They were just massive and tough and scary, and even scary off the field. Like normally, there's a fair bit of back and forth between like the supporters, but you wouldn't say anything to Scott boys. <laughs> and nothing has changed. <laughs> um, all right, let's make it a short episode this week. Because uh, uh, I'm in my bedroom and my wife needs to go to bed. So she keeps texting me to say, when are you finishing up? Which is a good reason. Yes. We'll do our And tips. we are doing this an early day early because I have to travel tomorrow. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just bringing up the games. Okay. So first up on Thursday, Will, Hawthorne take on the Bombers in the battle of the whinging coaches. <laughs> I mean, in the battle of who fucking cares? <laughs> like, that's what this game has suddenly become, isn't yeah. it? Like, 15th versus 12th. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, look, Essendon will probably win, I guess. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't care. Uh, Melbourne, uh, Essendon are favourites, but I, I don't know. I, I will say Hawthorne to make it interesting. Uh, then the Tigers take on the Eagles. Mm. Uh, Big match. Okay. Versus fifth. Possible grand final preview. At Metricon. So the Eagles um, are back in Queensland, which they hate. So you'd give Richmond a good chance here. Uh, they are favourites, actually, surprisingly, considering the Eagles haven't lost a game in six weeks. Um, oh, what a cracker. This is a statement game. If the Tigers win this, then suddenly I put them right in contention. Uh, I'm going to pick the Tigers. I've got a feeling about them. I, 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 yes, this is definitely a danger game for West Coast back in Queensland. But I think I'm a bit like you. They're coming back to Queensland for West Coast now is different to when they came the first time. The first time, they didn't know how it was all going to pan out. They were all just a bit shitty and they didn't want to be there. But now they're coming back as like the... Yeah, they're the big deal yeah. again. They're the big game in town. And I think they're going to swagger back into Queensland. And I think that... I think West Coast are going to win. The Bulldogs take on the Cats on Friday night, 8th versus 3rd, and I'm convinced that they're going to win this, the Bulldogs. I just think the Cats have been up and about. They sort of got a bit wobbly against Adelaide. The more you win, the closer you are to a loss, and the Bulldogs' trademark is that they beat teams above them. Traditionally, we have a hard time against Geelong, but I, yep, I'm confident the Bulldogs, not confident really, but based <laughs> on our theory that... Eighth versus third guarantees a win for the Bulldogs. Then I'm going to say yes, the Bulldogs. On Saturday, the Power take on the Swans. Uh, power. Swans are just a, a rebuild year. Uh, the Dockers, your favourite team, taking on the Giants. 13th versus 11th. This is a fucking danger game for the Giants, isn't it? My goodness. Where's it at? Uh, over in Perth. Fremantle. And that's my luck of the week. And then on Saturday night to round out the... And then Justin Longmuir to be awarded the coach's coach... <laughs> Coach, coaches award. The coaches coach vote. Uh, then Immediately the, after the game. The Randolph Saturday night, the Saints take on the Demons, ninth versus sixth. Um, I think we'll win that game. Saints. On Sunday, the Blues take on the Pies, 10th versus seventh. The Carlton continuing their march into the finals, taking on a wounded Collingwood. Um, oh, but 
Are there backs against the wall? They had a kind of easy kill on Monday night. Where are the where are the where is Collingwood's backs to the wall? It's hard to tell. They've been fucking kicked about so much this season. They are down on personnel. This is one that Carlton should win. I think mm. Collingwood, if they lose, you're not that disappointed. But I reckon if Carlton lose, they this, should be super disappointed. This so is where I'm, I'm going to say the- that because Carlton should win this one, that means that Collingwood's backs are technically against the wall. So therefore, I pick Collingwood. Yeah. So this is the difference between the Bulldogs trademark and the and the backs against the wall trademark. Because looking at this, if it was the Bulldogs in the same situation facing Carlton, I would pick Carlton. But now, because it's the it's it's Collingwood, you're right. It's backs against the wall. It's Collingwood. You're right. Collingwood for this. And then the last game is the Suns taking on North Melbourne in the second Who Cares game of this round. 14th versus 17th. Um, I mean, the Suns feel like they've lost a lot of their luster, but the North just don't look that good. Uh, I'm going to pick North, and that's my lock of the week. I'm going to pick the Suns. I think the Suns had a shitty week, but they'll be... I still think there's a lot of upside to the Suns. And so I think, yeah, they're the Suns. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, go to tofop.com to check out our other great podcast. Will, uh, who's on Philosophy this week? Uh, so who is on Philosophy this week? Celia Piccola was on Friday. Josh Zepps was uh, on a Monday. And uh, this Friday, I believe, Jen Kirkman. There'll be a Jen Kirkman episode coming out on Friday. So lots of good guests. Oh, and Fofop's back. Oh. Dave Anthony is oh, yeah. on episode 300 of Fofop. Okay. Play on, not 15. Ball. We are two guys, one car.